Genesis chapter 2, verse 1 is where we're going to start reading here in just a moment. But friends, God has given us the incredible opportunity to become co-creators with Him and to steward His creation for the good of others. We're going to talk about vocation today in Thrive. God has given us this incredible opportunity, every one of us, to become co-creators with Him and to steward His creation for the good of others. This faith skill that we're calling vocation, it's not one that we think of very often. And in fact, if you start hunting through Scripture, it may be difficult to find sort of those one or two major passages of Scripture that talk about this, but it turns out that this is one of the very first things that we are asked to do as human beings who are made in the image of God. Maybe we don't talk about it often enough, so we need to make sure that we know how Scripture talks about vocation, how it explains it to us. Our relationship with God obviously includes things that we would normally put into the bucket of our spiritual life. Devotion and prayer and worship and church attendance and Bible reading, all of those kinds of things we naturally think of as part of our spiritual lives. But if that is all that it is, then it's easy for us to leave out the things that we do with the rest of our hours and with the rest of our days. So one way of putting it is that God's activity in and through our lives is not limited to just Sundays and Sunday kinds of things. Our discipleship belongs to Monday through Saturday as well. So in Thrive, we're going to describe vocation like this, seeing what I do as part of God's mission in this world. It's very simple, seeing what I do as part of God's mission for this world. So mission to the world includes missionaries. We do a lot of that. We, We spend a lot of time and effort on that, right? But it also includes what all of us do with our hands, with our minds, with our creativity. The term vocation causes us to think of our work, the things that we would normally call the work that we do. The word vocation causes us to think of work as what God calls us to do. So in this sermon, we're going to use those two terms interchangeably, vocation and work, but it's about what God calls us and equips us to do. So it includes what many of us do for a paycheck, so to speak, but it also means everything else. A wonderful book on this, Work Matters, by the author Thomas Nelson, he puts it like this. Our work, whatever it is, whether we are paid for it, is our specific human contribution to God's ongoing creation and to the common good. Whatever it is, whether we're paid for it, is our contribution to God's creation. Now, to help us understand the faith skill of vocation, we're going to talk about two specific disciplines, and they're going to be purpose and then excellence. So, purpose. Vocation, this concept, helps us see how what we do is being part of God's mission. So, what purpose does God have for my software coding skills? What purpose does God have for my work as a cosmetologist? 
my engineering or my managerial skills, my military service, my teaching, my trade, my entrepreneurial skills. What purpose has God filled those things with because I am a child of God? What's this purpose, this God-given purpose inside of all of that? And then excellence. One of the common threads among Christians who think about this and write about this is this theme of excellence in what we do for the cause of Christ. You go all the way back early in church history, and as the the sort of leading influential thinkers in church history talk about what we do with our hands, they often talk about excellence. Luther and Calvin and one of C.S. Lewis's best friends, Dorothy Sayers, writes beautifully about how important it is for Christians to be good at their work. And the, the basic concept is this. A Christian engineer is not called to build Christian bridges. They're called to engineer really good bridges, right? So Christians are not net drains on where they work and amongst the people that they work with. They are producers and they are creators for the sake of what they and their immediate family needs as well as what their neighbors need as well. There's excellence. There's excellence in whatever it is God gives us to do. So in Genesis chapter 2, so we do. We go all the way back to the beginning of things to see what God thinks about the works of our hands, the purpose of our work. Genesis chapter 1 told us that you and I are made in the image and the likeness of God. It taught us that of all of the things that were created in this universe, you and I were given this specific task of dominion over or stewardship over all that God created. Genesis chapter 2 tells the creation story again, but now we move to creation specifically, and our attention moved even to the Garden of Eden and to the question, why did God put Adam and Eve in the garden? Why did he put us on earth? So God leaves us in charge of his creation so that we might cultivate it, so that we might be creative inside of it, and so that we might work for his glory and do our work for each other's good. It's this beautiful and broad-ranging thought inside of Scripture. So Genesis chapter 2 Verse 1, the first three verses, it goes like this. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So God has worked is the language that we're given here. Genesis chapter 1 is God at work, bringing everything into existence, putting everything together, spinning everything in such a way that it all holds together. In the beginning, Scripture begins, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He creates ex nihilo. He creates from nothing. So he's not just the grand creator, Genesis 2 tells us. He is the great worker as well. He brings into existence the physical universe, every law that governs it, and everything that is on earth and how it relates to each other. God is the great worker in Genesis 1. 
And then three times in these three verses, the text says that he, then on the seventh day, he rested from all of his work. He rested from everything that he has done. So now on the seventh day, this is the notion that opens Genesis 2. On the seventh day, God rests from all his work. In fact, the seventh day is blessed. It is the Sabbath day. We've talked specifically about Sabbath inside of Thrive as well. So this day, it represents both labor and rest. It represents all that God has created and how we enjoy it and live in it and are a part of it. It represents this day that is set aside as holy, that we use to make sure that we remember God and worship God in rest in all that He has given us. But here's part of what's cool about the movement of chapter 2. When God rests, He puts us in the garden to begin our work of cultivation, of creativity, and of preservation in all of creation. So we move through the text, and we get to chapter 2, verse 15. And Genesis 2, 15 says this, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. So God puts Adam, and he will put Eve inside of the garden to work it and keep it to, depending on the translation you have, to cultivate it and to guard it. Adam names all of the animals. It's the first scientific endeavor. He names all of them, puts them in their species and phyla, right? So he is working not just the ground itself, but with the rest of creation. So as we begin to understand what God is doing inside of you and me as he puts us in the garden now to work as he rests... We begin to see some things rise to the surface. And the first is this. Christian vocation is filled with the character of God. What we do with our hands Monday to Friday, what we do with the skills that God has given us, with the creativity, the time, the effort, the resources God has given us, our vocation is filled with the character of God. He worked, and now we work. He created and now we create, but we do it all as people who follow now in God's path, as people who were made in the image and the likeness of God. All right, one short little verse, but most of you know me well enough that I can take one short little verse and I can, I can occupy three hours of your time. We're going to be careful with that, but it's an important verse. My text says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Those, verse, those, those verbs, work and keep, are powerful words in the Old Testament. So the word here for work, it belongs to a larger group of words in the Hebrew. The parent word in that group is avodah. And avodah in the Old Testament is used in this broad and powerful way. It's used in Exodus chapter 1, verse 14, when it says that the, the children of Israel were working to make bricks there in Egypt. So as they work to make bricks, that term is used. A little bit later on in Exodus chapter 35, verse 24, as God has given Moses an example of the, tim, of the tabernacle and how it was going to build and who was going to build it, that term is used to describe the artists who will make the tabernacle beautiful, that same term is used to talk about artistry in the tabernacle. 
little bit further on in 2 Chronicles chapter 8, verse 14, Solomon has built the temple and he has created the structure inside of the temple and the priests and the sacrifices. And when he sets up the group of priests whose job it is to organize worship, the term avodah is used again. See, this is a powerful word and it covers so much of what we do as people who belong to God. So this kind of work that we're given in the Garden of Eden, that we are given today, it involves the day-to-day grind of what we do. Some days we're just making bricks, right? It also means the creativity of making something good, of making something beautiful, of putting something together that no one has put together before. And it also means that our work is worship to God. Have you thought about that with what you do? As simple as it may seem to you, as frustrating as it may seem to you, God has given it to you and to me to become an act of worship to our God. Now, notice this as well, because there's a very common misconception about work in the Christian faith. Work is not the result of the fall. Okay, we weren't given work after Adam and Eve sinned and are kicked out of the garden. Think about this for a minute. God in His perfect relationship with us, in us in our perfect relationship with Him, with each other, and with creation, we work it and we keep it, we cultivate it, we preserve it, and all of it happens perfectly. What happens to work after the fall is that work becomes toil. That's the word then that is used about how we're going to plow the ground and eat its fruit. It's going to become toil. So you and I live in these two places at the same time. The work that God has given us is gift as well as what sin has done to it and it's created toil inside of what we do. This is a really important concept because there is this thought in our political universe, in our culture, that is coming to the top more and more and more, and it's the idea that work is slavery, that work is prison. Guys, as followers of Jesus Christ, work is a gift. Work is vocation. It is what God has called us to do. Some days it is making bricks. But work is better than just a check because we're using the gifts that God has given us to make something of this world, to glorify Him, and to meet the needs of our neighbors. So we begin to see very quickly in the biblical story how our vocations can be filled with worship and with the character of God. What does Scripture mean by work? I believe there's a way of understanding what Scripture from beginning to, end, beginning to end means by our work. This is how I understand it in Scripture. Work is anything meaningful we do that God equips us to do and can be done for His glory, for the help of our neighbor, and as part of the foreshadowing of His kingdom. What we do is even a seed of the kingdom of God. A Christian at work is the light of the glory of God in that workplace. Now, notice that inside of this description of work in Scripture, there's nothing in here about money. Work is what we do for a paycheck so that we can put a roof over our heads and food on the table. It includes that, 
It covers the job that we have, but it also means parenting, volunteer work, grandparenting, and everything that God has given us to do. We see something else as well as Scripture moves on it. It happens again very quickly inside of God's story. Our vocation can be filled with God's Spirit. It's filled with God's character, and it can be filled with the Spirit of God. Something that happens early on in the book of Exodus, when God appoints, He speaks to Moses about the tabernacle and how it will be built and what it's going to look like, and it's going to take people who know how to do certain things really well. It's going to take artists to make the tabernacle look the way God wants it to look. And when God appoints these artists in the book of Exodus, He describes them as people who are filled with the Spirit of God. In fact, the first people in Scripture who are described as filled with the Spirit of God are artists. Exodus 31, verses 3 through 4 say this. Speaking of one particular individual in the next verses, speak of the second. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and with intelligence. Notice how God just puts all of these things together. This is how the Spirit has filled him with ability and intelligence, with knowledge in all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, bronze, and on and on it goes. See, vocation belongs to all of us. Ministry to God's creation and our neighbor belongs to all of us. Everything we do with our hands can be filled with the Spirit of God. It's beautiful. When we typically think of what it means to be a Christian inside of the workplace, we usually think of those opportunities that we might have to witness to a co-worker or to pray with a co-worker. And friends, for sure, it includes all of that. Our eyes need to be open for that. We need to be praying for those instances to speak of Jesus Christ to the people that we spend time with, the people we go to school with, the people that we work with. But the Spirit of God also fills us with His wisdom to bear witness to God in how we work, in how we go about our days. The more I thought about this this week, the more I was drawn to uh, what is probably my favorite um, character in Scripture, and it's Daniel, Daniel and his friends. Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are abducted as slaves when they're in their mid-teens, and they're taken from Judah to Babylon. And in Babylon, they are completely re-educated. They're put inside of King's College, inside of Nebuchadnezzar's College, and they're taught a different language, and they're given different names, Babylonian names, because they're supposed to be turned into Babylonians. But it turns out that Daniel and his friends don't get turned into Babylonians. They just become really influential followers of God in Babylon. So Daniel and his friends very quickly find themselves in the broader circle of Nebuchadnezzar's advisors. And in Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has this disturbing dream. So he pulls his inner ring of advisors in and says, I need you guys to interpret this dream for me. And they go, we can do that all day long. Just tell us what the dream is. Nebuchadnezzar goes, no, you tell me what the dream is. And they say, no, you tell us what the dream is. Nope not going to do that. In fact, Nebuchadnezzar says, if you can't tell me what the dream is and its interpretation, I'm going to kill all of you. This is what ancient Near Eastern despots did all the time. I can't do that with my staff, but Nebuchadnezzar could do that with his staff, right? Might get in trouble if I did that. 
Well, they can't do it. And, and so eventually Nebuchadnezzar's men find Daniel and his friends, and they tell him what's going on. Daniel says, give us the evening to pray and fast. And Daniel walks into Nebuchadnezzar's the next day and says, listen, praise be to all God because he has shown me the dream and the interpretation. And he lays it out before Nebuchadnezzar. And it's this sprawling, incredible vision of the rise and fall of empires and the coming of the eternal kingdom of God. And here's what Nebuchadnezzar says after all of this is done. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. This is a phenomenal example of Ivy League educated political officials giving glory to God because of their work. Isn't that incredible? And it bears witness to Nebuchadnezzar because they're wise, because they are filled with the Spirit of God, because they listen to the voice of God, and the opportunity comes, and God just shows himself to be great amongst Daniel and his friends, and King Nebuchadnezzar sees it. See, friends, from the very beginning of the story, we were given this task of working and keeping and cultivating what God has given us. So working as God's under-creators can fill our work with purpose, turning our daily labor, whatever it is, into vocation, a kind of calling that God gives all of us to fill the world with His glory. Now turn with me, please, to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 is this incredible chapter that is filled with instruction about how to live lives that belong to Jesus Christ on this world. It opens with this reminder that because we belong to Jesus Christ, our minds need to be on the things of Christ. We need to be thinking about how Christ sees things, what it means to walk through this life as people who belong to Jesus Christ. Christ. That's what, the, that's what this kind of chapter is. And it even moves into instructions about how we relate to each other, husbands and wives and parents and kids and even servants inside of a household. So we're aiming for in this chapter a kind of Christ-honoring excellence so that Christ can be glorified in all that we do, everything we are, the way we forgive and love, the way we relate, and the way that we work. So here again in this passage, what we do with our Monday to Friday lives, so to speak, is a critical part of our worship, of our walking with Jesus Christ, our discipleship, and what it means to help our neighbors flourish. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 and 24, they go like this. Paul says, whatever you do, Work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. I love this. Whatever you do, work heartily. The New International Version just says whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart. Whatever you do. <laughs> Look really quickly at verse 17 of Colossians chapter 3. 
And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. How much would that perspective change the days when I just make bricks, right? There's this apocryphal story of the building of Westminster Chapel in England. The bishop walks by while the, the masons and the workers are there, and they're beginning to, to put the Westminster Chapel together. And so the bishop walks by, and he asks the first craftsman, what are you doing? And his answer was, I'm making bricks. He goes by the second craftsman. He says, what are you doing? He says, well, I'm making a living so that I can buy bread for my family. He goes to the third craftsman. He says, well, what are you doing? He says, I am building a house to the glory of God. What an interesting perspective. What are you doing? Well, this is building a house for the glory of God. Whatever you do, that, by the way, includes everything. <laughs> it doesn't exclude anything. Whatever you do. Verse 17, he says, and in everything that you do. Paul, in verses 23 and 24, he's talking to servants specifically. In verse 17, He's talking to all of us. We already know that every one of us is called to this same kind of thing, this same kind of perspective. So this means nothing is left out. Christ is attentive to everything that we do. Christ has given you gifts and abilities. So he wants to fill those gifts and abilities every day. He's attentive to all of it. He can be glorified in all of it. So whatever you do, and then the next phrase is, work at it with all of your heart. Again, I think, of, I think of Daniel, taken as a slave as a teenager, re-educated in a pagan nation, forced into service, into a job he did not ask for. But he ends up being, because of his relationship with his God, he ends up being the hero of the story. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands how many of you have ever been forced into work you did not ask for, right? Our life paths don't always go the way that we want them to. Wouldn't things be better, God, if maybe my skill set was being used over here instead of over here? God, maybe things would be easier, maybe even more fruitful or creative. If I just had a different group of people around me, if I had a different boss, if maybe I finally had this moment over here instead of where I am now, wouldn't it just be better if I were over there? Guys, this is a frustration that all of us have walked through life with. This is a frustration that I walk through life with all the time. But listen, it turns out that God knows better than I do and that he is able to take my work here and now. And as my perspective is right, and as the works of my hands are given over to him, he can take whatever it is he's given you to do here and now for his glory, for fruitfulness and meaning and purpose inside of our lives, and for the blessing of our neighbors, maybe even in ways that we don't see. So listen, I neglect both my neighbor and my God if I slack at what God has given me to do. Read through the book of Proverbs. One of the characters in the book of Proverbs who is a fool is the sluggard. The fool. 
The fool puts his hand in a bowl of oatmeal and doesn't even have the strength to lift it to his mouth. The fool is a sloth. The Christian isn't. Whatever it is I do with my hands, I do it for the glory of God. So our neighbors need us to work like we belong to Jesus Christ. We don't always think about it this way, but I think it's fruitful to think about it this way. God has arranged the interconnectedness of human society so that we rely on each other's work, and we flourish when we do it well. I need you to do your job well as if you belong to Christ. You need me to do my job well as if it is work that is done unto Christ. We need each other to do this. I don't like to admit it all the time, but I need good baristas. I really do. Bad baristas? Mm, I need to move on. <laughs> they have skills I don't. I'm willing, I'm willing to pay for that skill. Maybe you feel the same way I do. I need better politicians and not worse. I need good teachers in our community. I need responsible parents. I need God-honoring lawyers and tradespeople and entrepreneurs who know how to not only do their job well, but take care of their employees and their neighbors. See, our work affects our neighbors. And Christ has called us to do it in such a way that, yes, we meet the needs that, that we in our immediate circle have, but we're producers and we are creators as people who work and keep creation as God has given it to us <laughs> so that our neighbors can flourish as well. One of the friends of this church, he's spoken a few times, Charlie Self, in a book that he wrote, Flourishing Churches and Communities, he puts it like this, God has reconciled the world to himself in Christ and is now working through the church to express the life of the kingdom in the present age. God has done his work of reconciliation and now he's at work inside of us bringing about whatever kind of reconciliation we can bring about because of what he has given us to do. It's beautiful. So here it is in this passage. From the very beginning of our creation, to what Paul tells us explicitly in Colossians chapter 3. In the end, everything I do, I serve the Lord and not people. My eyes are on God in what I do. My eyes are on Christ in what I do. I don't want to insult you, but every Sunday morning, one of the prayers that goes through my head is that what I do here is for an audience of one. I stand responsible before God for what I do. And the Holy Spirit is at work, and however the Holy Spirit wants to be at work. With all that we do, we are ultimately and finally serving Jesus Christ. But God has ordained it so that when I do that well, you're blessed. Our neighbors are blessed. Our families are blessed. So my work, our work, will help our neighbors flourish. But our work is first and foremost an act of service to Jesus Christ. And this is important because it keeps my perspective in order. People will always fail and disappoint me. If I'm doing something for people and that's the only reason I do it, they're gonna fail me and disappoint me and frustrate me. Christ will 
always lead me and fill me with His Spirit. This is how my work can be filled with Christ. It can help me keep my perspective on the daily job that, my, that I have on my work. Christ created and called us to do the work that He equipped us to do. In my work, I take care of the needs around me, and I honor God. And this always helps keep Christ first in everything that I do. So it isn't just a matter of keeping Christ first in that spiritual bucket of things. My devotional time, my, my Sundays, my, my Bible reading and my praying, it is a whole life way of seeing the incredible hand of God at work in whatever we do. In everything you do, honor Christ and bless your neighbor. Whatever it is, even as he speaks to servants, you think it's menial. You think it's something you shouldn't be doing. And Paul tells you and me when we are in that place, do it as unto the Lord. Because God created you in his image. He has given you things to do that can glorify him, that can bless our neighbor, and it can be seeds of the kingdom of God here on earth. What a powerful thing can happen when the church of Jesus Christ knows its vocation well. Let's pray.